When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Least Talk Forever. Um, yeah, uh, we are with you again for episode 34. There's been a little bit of uh, technical difficulties to start, so um, we apologize for anything like that. Uh, we have a show just consistent of me, consisting of me and uh, Scott. Kyle is not with us again. Um, Probably a Thursday night football reason again. So uh, hopefully he's got a nice betting segment coming to you guys next week. Uh, Scott's also got the updates on the betting segment. We'll get to that a little bit later. Didn't, didn't uh, he say he was going away for the weekend and needed to pack or something? Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe that was the reason. But um, either way, I hope he's doing a little bit of homework on the uh, betting segment. So this episode is presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, this is Leafs Talk Forever. I'm Spencer. He's Scott. Let's get into it. We've got some uh, show notes or housekeeping um, things to bring your way. Effective immediately, we are stopping production on the YouTube channel, the TikTok stream channel, whatever you want to call that account, uh, as well as potentially probably even the Instagram account. Um, anything else I'm missing here, Scott? And the blog. Um, for a couple of different reasons, but mainly uh, for most of those things is because we're putting out these things and we're not getting many, many viewers on them. Uh, no one's really checked on our YouTube. No one's really checked on our TikTok and they've been up for a while in terms of the blog. Uh, well, we've got uh, a total of 24 views on three weeks, which is weird because before we were doing like 500 views a uh, an article that we put out. Um, but in terms of actual writing for this blog, there's no point in me and Scott and Kyle doing it if we're just going to be talking about it and we're getting views on the podcast, but not the article. It just takes time out of our week. So yeah, effective immediately uh, from this point forward, we will just be focusing on the podcast. So there won't be a visual edit um, anymore, but uh, you will see it still come out every every Friday morning. Uh, anything else? I think that might be it. I think that's all the, well, TikToks or uh, Twitter is still going to be in use because that's how we get it out to you guys as well as Facebook. I shared on my Facebook page to get into the least, uh, leaf friendly uh, groups there, but 
we uh, we hope that we get an uptick in things going forward, and maybe we'll bring that back after the new year. But for right now, we're going to spare our time. Uh, Scott, you want to take it away with the first one? You're better at these moments. Obviously, we have some sad news to pass along, which people have probably already heard because it's been about a week. But Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, not long after our last episode, uh, the news broke, unfortunately, that Boris Song had passed away. Uh, he, since in the summer when he was diagnosed, he struggled with ALS. Um, the Leafs gave him that send-off, that that honoring ceremony celebration of him as a Leaf, him as a career, him as a person, uh, two weeks ago in the, the weekend of the Hall of Fame ceremony. And, yeah, uh, yeah it was just sad news to hear that the, the disease affected him that quickly and, and he suffered in that short amount of time. And then, unfortunately, it caused him to pass away. Yeah. Um, very, uh, I don't know, I, I keep saying the same thing, like how the Stars had a line for that specific um, moment on the ice for Leafs, but also the fact that his illness didn't worsen um, drastically before he came to Toronto, so he had that send-off. Yeah. Some people are saying that he was saying and the best that he could that it was kind of like being at your own funeral. So that's that's tough to hear. But unfortunately, or fortunately for him, as bad as it sounds, he's no longer suffering. And yeah. um, unfortunately, his family will suffer for a while, but they will come to, um, I guess, better thoughts with it. And and maybe well, they maybe they're already in better thoughts. Maybe they know that he's not suffering and. But our condolences go on to them as well. Yeah, Daryl Siller said that 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 weekend, the two days that they kind of honored him, uh, he said that him, both him as Boris Salming and Boris Salming's family, both felt that it was like, like it, the it lifted the the weight off their shoulders, so to speak. Like it kind of made them more okay with it happening because they realized. Like just the way the celebration happened, it made them kind of, I guess, kind of realize that it, 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 it isn't as, or it shouldn't be looked on as as sad as it is. It should be more like celebrating the man and all the accomplishments that he's done in his life. Yeah. So I thought that was a cool take on normally, which I'll get into one point I want to make in a minute. But normally, like the family is like mourning. Or they they could be mourning. I don't know. But like you hear more after a, a big death like that of the family mourning and like normally they don't put out statements of like how the the celebration or the, the events that led up in the weeks leading up to the death have kind of made them okay with it in a, in a way that, that it helped them realize that even though he's going to die, he's still technically there. Like he should still be celebrated even if he's not physically on earth anymore. Yeah. And it's, I mean, just the, just the, uh, the stories and the impact and everything that you've you've heard since his passing is kind of just makes it seem like like obviously he's a legend, but he has a legacy that will never be forgotten. Yeah. And the and the Leafs that. honored him with the patch. And yeah, which I, oh, sorry, part of, no, you go. can continue, Scott. I was going to no, say I saw on I saw on Twitter that they um I forget what exactly what it is, but some kind of donation thing. Like they're they're yeah, selling that's off some patches. Say, and then the, all yeah. the proceeds that they raise from the sales, they're going to donate to the ALS Foundation or whatever. 
Yeah, so I heard that they're making a contribution to the, to the ALS uh, Society or whatever uh, charity um, themselves as well. But then, yeah, the patches are available from now to the end of the season, as well as the game-worn jerseys from last night's game in San Jose or against San Jose, the first home game since he passed. Those game-worn jerseys are going to be auctioned off, every single one of them, and all of that money will be going to the ALS Foundation too. I'm yeah. definitely, I'm definitely going to look into ordering a patch. I don't know the price of them, but uh, ultimately, in those situations, I mean, I guess price in a, in a sense does matter, but in a sense, it also doesn't because it's going to a good cause, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, so un- unfortunately, um, we won't be having another tribute or or anything else. Those situations or those, um, you know, I'm trying to say, but. Uh, yeah, it's all going to be s- stories that you that you hear about Borja and and how he had an impact on the Swedish game and the Canadian uh, people as well. So kind of nice to hear those stories yeah. after he, his passing. The overall reception or or atmosphere since his death has been mostly positive. Has been just honoring the man with stories of his career, of his off ice. Um, actions and and stuff he's done to help players and people and whatnot which led me into the point i was going to make i mentioned a couple minutes ago uh and i know it's their job but i i found it incredibly um i guess indecent or in bad taste that the day after boris death they had already bugged daryl sittler to come on to the tv and do an interview tsn yeah like I, I get that you want him on there to talk, to show, to honor the man, whatever. But I feel like they could have waited a little bit longer than the day after the death, especially since Daryl Sittler was like Boris Allen's best friend. You think that he also he knew the whole family. He grew up like he's known them, his kids since they were little, or before they like when they were born. You think he would want to be with the family in in that moment, mourning with with them. Even if they, they they say like the morning won't be as bad with all the pre celebration stuff, but like the death still hit the family probably hard. So I just found it incredibly in, in bad taste that literally less than a day after the news broke of his death, they already had Daryl Sittler in front of a camera asking questions about Boris Salming. When I feel I just feel like they should have waited a couple more days than just one. Yeah, I was. Um a little shocked to see that as well. I did hear a little story about him though, that he said, uh, I guess the family called him at, uh, 9am from Sweden and told him that he passed. So, I mean, obviously getting to Sweden right away, but I, if you find out at 9am Eastern standard time in Ontario, then you get put on the Jeff Merrick show that day at 12 o'clock. And then again, yeah, that night is kind of tough. But uh, yeah, I I don't listen to the Jeff Merrick show, so like I think you remember, mentioned that before. But like even then, like if it's three hours after Daryl Siller found down, and you're already bugging him to come on the show to talk, I feel like like just give yeah. the guy some time. His best friend just died. He probably wants to go and and be with the family of Salming and 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 like be involved in that moment because like he was best friends with the guy, but then not even couple hours after hearing you're already bugging them to make appearances on your tv show to get viewers to get people to watch to get people to listen i think that yeah. the whole whole thing was just in bad taste and it should have should have been put off until 
he had that proper time to mourn, and then you could have followed followed up after that. So, um, yeah, if you if if you think you uh, you can afford it and you are able to, um, obviously we have viewers from Sweden as well. Go to the Leafs page or whatever and find the link to buy one of those patches for Boria and. Um, yeah, that's uh, not very good in these moments, but it's uh, sad that he left, but good that he got honored. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to touch on a little bit more of uh, somber news before we get into the good stuff. Not that this isn't good, but until we get into the happier stuff. Uh, Chris Tang of the Pittsburgh Penguins, defenseman, uh, he suffered a stroke, potentially two strokes, um, this is his known second one, but there has been people saying that he's had a third. Um, apparently not career-threatening, but uh, I guess you never really know uh, what what the lasting effects of these situations are going to be. And if he, I think he's like thirty-five, if he even wants to play hockey again. Um, yeah. So yeah, our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, Chris Letang and his family. And- and all of the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, players, because obviously that's a big loss for them. And Crosby and Malkin are obviously super good friends with Chris Tang. Yeah, and not not that this not that this matters, but like it was reported that it happened on Monday. So did it happen after the Leafs game? Yeah, I would imagine. Because uh, I like all I heard was that it was reported that he had like he suffered the, the first of these two. Because apparently he suffered another one today, or or something like that. Um, but yeah, like I heard that the, the first of this this stretch was he, it happened on Monday. So I, I no one ever said if it happened during the game or like late in the game or or after the game. So I just I didn't know if what the situation was there. Yeah, that's true. I never uh, never really thought about that. Yeah, if I it hope did it didn't happen. Happen, happen if it did happen in game. Yeah, if it did happen in game, and then he they they kind of just let him play the rest of the game. Then that looks bad on the team. Yeah, I don't think if you had a stroke, you'd just be playing the rest of the game. Well, yeah, I know, but that's why I like I just didn't know if it happened late in the game, and there was like three four minutes left, and they just didn't notice because he wouldn't have had another shift, or like. Like that's what I mean. Like no one really mentioned when it happened. It just I was just interested to see if it was like late game, and that's why he, like, if he didn't play or whatever, or if it happened after the game, because all they ever said was Monday. Yeah. Um. I hope for. I mean, I guess either way, it's a stroke. But I guess I hope for his sake that it happened after the game, um, rather than being rushed and all that. I mean, you're gonna be rushed off anyways. But the panic of the of the medical staff and everything, if that happened at the game, that'd be pretty intense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as mentioned before, our, our thoughts and prayers go on to Chris Tang's family uh, and Boris Salmings. Um, and we will get to the uh, other pieces of information. Um, starting with the one, the only Mitchell Marner. This guy's now tied uh, Eddie Olchuk and Daryl Sithers' point streaks with 18. Uh, 18 games with a point. 
getting it last night with a empty net goal, which he had two attempts at, score on the second, and also had one chance where he tried to pass it to Bunting, and apparently Bunting told him, like, I don't know exactly word for word, but from what people are saying, Bunting told him, like, don't be an idiot, uh, go for the easy play. Um, so, yeah, he's got 18 now. Um, but Saturday against Tampa, he can break the record at, with 19. How long do you think this is going to go on for? Um, I think it's done. I don't, I don't, I mean, it would have been done last game if they wouldn't have, have let him, not that they let him, but like the, the least players pretty much let him get the empty net goal. If, if like Bunting told them, like, don't be an idiot, take it for yourself. So if that wouldn't have happened, then obviously it would have ended there. But I don't think that it's going to continue like uh, for the Tampa or, or Dallas or ever, whatever games come after. I think that 18 is, is it, and then he'll, he won't get a point next game. Yeah, my um, my call on that is I think he's going to get the 19. I think uh, he's going to be gunning for one uh, one more point in this game, and then I don't think he'll really care much anymore. He's made a point not to talk about it before or after the games. Uh, so I think regardless of the outcome tomorrow, he's going to be talking about it, but I think it could be revealed, obviously, that – I mean, obviously that he, he wants it. Who wouldn't want a record? But I think he's going to try and uh, try a little bit over the top tomorrow. I think you're going to see him kind of come out and maybe try and take over some aspects of the game to try and get that point. Which, which is why I don't think he's going to get it. Because it seems like in the games where Marner tries too hard, he doesn't play well. In the games where he's trying to do everything himself, he's trying to decount everybody, he's trying to, to get the points are the games where he doesn't play as well as he should. And it's the games where he just comes out and does the basics, the normal stuff that you would expect him to do is the games that he does really well. So I don't, I feel like he's going to come out on Saturday and, and try his, his hardest to get the point. But in the process of doing that, I don't think he's going to play well. Um, that would suck actually, to be honest, if you tried so, so, so hard and then you just, came up short came up short like it all it would suck worse to be like game time goal or whatever and the goal gets called back and yeah. like overtime goal gets called back and and then you don't get the extra point which you're very well you very well could be right i just think that he's going to be trying to get uh, the one especially against tampa yeah. the good players are going to have to show up because obviously last year they got beat on the plaza i think that that's going to be a little bit of a kicker to them. Uh, so, um, speaking about playoffs, uh, Florida Panthers. Um, that's all. That's the tweet. Florida Panthers are, I don't even think, like what, they're seven points on the playoff spot now? No. And that uh, is, well, I don't know. Last I looked, they were three back of the wild card. Um, oh, are they? I'm gonna just I don't know if they, that was a couple days ago. I don't know. Because I know they but, lost to uh, Edmonton and Calgary. So While you're looking that up, I'm just going to uh, um, inflate my ego a little here. And if we have listeners who listen to every episode, go back into the summer episodes where we each made one prediction for the coming season. Uh, Kyle's was that Malkin isn't going to resign with Pittsburgh. That was done couple, that night. Yeah, like yeah, a couple <laughs> hours later, Malkin signed. Spencer's was 
Buffalo is going to be a wildcard team, which could happen, but right now they're not in a wildcard spot. And mine was the Florida Panthers aren't going to make the playoffs, which as of right now, they are not in a playoff spot. So I am the only one currently that could get their prediction right. And we're going to keep in mind that uh, Scott has just and as Florida, good a chance. Florida has the hardest wrong as I have. Well, that's true, but you have just as good a chance to get yours wrong as I do mine right. Yeah, so I mean, know. Buffalo's only like what eight or nine points behind Four. Tampa. Behind Four. Tampa? Oh, behind Tampa? Oh, I'm talking about the wild card spot. The oh, wild well, card then, yeah. teams right now are Detroit, Pittsburgh, and they're only oh, sorry, five points behind Pittsburgh. So. Buffalo. Yeah, and they're only one. Yeah. They have one less win. So. Yeah, it could happen, but I mean, like as of like currently this moment, I'm the only one in a position to get theirs right. That is true. Um, I heard today from a podcast. And I'm yesterday, pretty sure not we made names. these just real quick. I'm pretty sure we made these predictions before the Kachuk trade. Yeah, you, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, so, you based I mean, it, it wasn't looking. Off the, it wasn't looking. It wasn't looking so good for me when they made that trade, but. Yeah, you base it off the, um, I think the trades that they made last season. Yeah, and the people that were leaving. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think we're having a little bit of a delay here, so bear with us on this one. But uh, I, I listened to a podcast today that was from yesterday, and 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 uh, not going to name any names, but some people were talking on the podcast, and they had mentioned that uh, it seems very well. Some people were saying on the podcast that it, it could work, but one part- one particular person said that it's not going to happen. So uh, yesterday, for some reason, they said Toronto was eight points behind Boston. Toronto has three games, or uh, Boston has three games in hand on Toronto, so they've played twenty-two games and have thirty-eight points. I don't know what this person was thinking that said it's unlikely that Toronto will ever pass Boston because they're eight yeah, points they back points? with like fifty games. Yeah, they're sorry. I think they've got like forty or fifty, whatever, fifty-six games left. Um, they're three points behind Boston. And uh, thankfully, because the overtime points that they've gotten, they've gotten five points from the overtime. Uh, but yeah, uh, the next best team in that division, the Atlantic, is Tampa Bay with with twenty seven, and then the next best team that could pass any of the teams in the Atlantic is Florida with twenty four, Montreal surprisingly with twenty three, Buffalo with twenty one, and a whopping seventeen points for Ottawa. So Toronto's looking really uh, good right now, and they're in a good position. Uh, their goal shouldn't be to to coast through. Obviously, we're only the quarterway mark in the season, so there's still lots of time left. But I would say probably by um, January f- or February 1st, I think that if their their goal from now to February 1st is to win as many games as they can to try and pass Boston or keep up with Boston because you never know. Um, like Boston could falter. People are saying that's not going to happen. I see it happening. They've been good, too good for too long, like in a row, like consistently 13 wins at home. Like they've had nineteen, they're nineteen three. That's too good for too long. Um, just like New Jersey, but I mean New Jersey's continuing that that stretch. But I think that you, you'll see it uh, say time where Boston dips and Toronto needs to take advantage of that in the next little bit. Um, and then hopefully Toronto can play. Right now they'd be playing uh, if they won. If they won, uh, like we're the best team in the, that division. They'd be playing Pittsburgh. But based on New Jersey and how they're going, I would say that they're probably going to be playing a. As of right now, Detroit, which Toronto would would destroy Detroit. So, 
looking good for Leafs fans as of December 1st. Excuse me, especially after that month of November that we just had. Yeah. Uh, there was I, one other point I wanted to make, but you can go and I'll think of it. Just point out the, uh, I mean, maybe not irony, but I guess irony, because that's the word I thought of at the time, um, of that for the last seven years, as long as Toronto's been amongst the best teams in the league, uh, we've always had to keep up with or compete with Boston and Tampa. Like, yeah, there hasn't been a month. So... Sorry, oh. go. No, no, go. I said it just. Se- I was going to say it just seems as though that uh, Tampa might be faltering a lot more than people. Well, anticipate. yeah, but it just seems like we're either like it, every year. It just seems like we're chasing either Boston or Tampa for the top spot. I mean, last year was Florida, but um, for the top spot in the division, and it's kind of getting annoying. Uh, just going through the goalie list here, just to talk about a little bit about that. I don't know where Matt Murray is on the list on save percentage. Um, let me just go to Toronto. Uh, da, 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 da. For some reason, he's not listed. That's probably because he hasn't played the required amount of games. Okay, like, yeah, that are makes you on sense. League leaders or whatever. Yeah, but Cam Talbot hasn't either. Anyways, currently right now, Sam Ilya Samsonov sits with a 924 save percentage. That is fifth best in the league. The goals ahead of him are Georgiev, which uh, that's impressive. Uh, Connor Hellebeck, Ilya Samsonov, sorry, Ilya Sorokin, and Linus Olmark, who has been playing out of this world for the Boston Bruins, making them almost regret potentially thinking about trading him in the offseason. Um I'm going to have to look at the, a different list, but uh, just throwing this out there, Stuart Skinner has a 914, and let me just find Jack Campbell. Okay, it's we're like going. What, 870 There's Eric Schalgren at 39th in the league with an 898. Okay, we're still going. We've hit 50. Uh, okay. Oh, uh, there he is, actually. 53rd um, is Peter Morazic at 878 and 54th in the league. With an 875 is Jack Campbell. How bad are you right now that the goalie who everyone ripped on last year and Peter Mrazek that he sucked has a better save percentage than you? And he's yeah. injured this year. Yep. Also, uh, Nick Kipper has thrown this uh, idea because I don't know if anyone follows me personally on Twitter, but I, I had mentioned the fact that Cal Peterson, who has an 868, who led in like five goals in that uh, whopping 9-8 game, against Seattle the other day. Um, I mentioned that Buffalo and I think Arizona, I said, would be the two best options, in my opinion, to get a guy who has three years left at $5 million. Uh, could be a, a steadying piece in the back end, especially with Devin Levi and Carl Vamelka. And Nick Kippers had thrown out the fact that he thinks that there's a potential that Cal Peterson clears, which he did clear, and that uh, Ken Holland might be interested in trying to work on a deal with LA to send Jack Campbell back to LA and they'll eat the two years at $5 million, the two extra years, and then try and get Cal Peterson to try and restart because Jack Campbell hasn't worked out at all. So uh, uh, everyone who has ripped Kyle Dubas for saying, for getting rid of Jack Campbell, you better be at his front doorstep kissing his feet. Because everyone ripped on him for bringing uh, Sam Sonoff and Mamre. And obviously, um, we didn't know that it was going to be this good. But uh, 
the real Jack Campbell, the one that's come out for the last, what, uh, seven of ten years in his career, has come back. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he sucks. Yeah. That's the moral of the story. I just want to touch on two things. One, um, uh, I don't know if this, I mean, even makes sense from a GM perspective, but why didn't um, Edmonton just claim Peterson and then put Jack Campbell on waivers? And then someone could have claimed Campbell, and then they wouldn't have had to eat the $2 million in contract. Well, I I kind of thought that today when I listened to it, but at the same time, you got to think, in my opinion, this is why it's because probably how Jack Campbell is as a person. If you put that guy on waivers, he's probably going to be well, true. But from a GM, you, you you can't always let your player players' emotional states dictate what moves you make. I agree, one hundred percent. So, and I, I I don't even know like if he gets sent down, doesn't get claimed, then Edmonton starts to eat the chunk of contract. So I guess from that perspective, it would make sense. But I feel like there's teams around the league right now. Who, when even if Jack Campbell isn't playing the best, when put on waivers would line up to claim him. So take take. Um, but then I guess like Jack Campbell doesn't make that much more than Peterson, so I guess it really isn't solving any kind of issue. Yeah, it's the same contract; it's just longer. Yeah. So it actually be worse for LA because, like, in a sense, I was thinking like, why would they do that? Because you're eating the two extra years. Um, and it's not like you're gonna buy him out in, in three in two extra two years from now. So then it's the same Cal Peterson contract, and then you have to eat that money when you could yeah. just buy on Cal Peterson this year. I found Matt Murray on the list. So the TSN uh, app has a goaltending um, uh, save percentage, and it just shows every goaltender that's played this season. So again, really Keith Kincaid and some guy named Schmid from uh, or Schmid from New Jersey. Myas Allmark has the best with the. Uh, whatever I'd already mentioned there at nine thirty-five, uh, going down the list. Sorokin, Hellebuck is uh, two and three. Matt Murray is actually ahead of uh, Al Georgiev with a nine twenty-seven, and then Georgiev and then Samsonov. And that's based on at least five games played just by that list. Um, and then also, I, this ties in with what we're going to talk about next. I'm not just throwing out random stats. Um, Something happened here. The app froze, I think. I hope nothing just randomly starts playing. Uh, right here, I wanted to see uh, goals against average. Sir, um, Lance Olmark is first, obviously, in the league. And uh, I hate this that it doesn't show. Uh, Ilya Samsonov has a uh, 2.09 percentage or, uh, goals against average. And just going down this list again. Uh, Vanacek, Sorokin, Hellebuck, uh, Matt Murray. So Matt Murray has a 243, and he has he's in sixth place. More of the story is Sam Solnoff came back last night, and I think this is it was a long-winded point. To our uh, thing to, to ask you this question: How do you feel about Toronto's goaltending right now? Because this might be the best goaltending duo that we've had statistically. I know it's early, and they've only played seven eight games to combine, but. Um, since I think it's 2018 with Anderson and Curtis McElhinney. How do you feel? About okay. It? So just before I answer that, I just want to touch on the second of my two points that I was going to make a couple minutes ago. Oh, sorry. Uh, the first being the waiver claim, because I don't know exactly how that works. So I just wanted to see uh, if you thought that made sense. And the second is I remember in the off season when Jack Campbell signed with Edmonton and all the Oilers fans were hopping on Twitter because that's mostly where I go to 
look up hockey news and stuff. Um, we're hopping on Twitter saying if Jack Campbell can have that those statistics playing on the Toronto Maple Leafs with their defense, then Edmonton should have no problem making it to the Stanley Cup final and have him being one of the best goals in the league. Uh, so that did not turn out well because uh, his 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 play has been horrible. So all the Edmonton fans in the offseason when he signed who were kind of ripping on the Leafs saying, your team sucks, Jack Campbell carried you, are now kind of regretting it because your team sucks, Jack Campbell's not carrying you. Yeah, that's um, – Jack Campbell is a age goalie. I think it shows right now, potentially a backup. Anyway, so back to your other question you asked there. I think – I mean – when Murray was signed, I was a little worried because he hasn't been playing the best in the last couple of years, uh, injury prone, yada yada yada. Uh, and then when we, you know, this when Samsonov was um, bought out or released or whatever happened there, uh, me and you both pretty much instantly said Toronto should sign him, and then him and Matt Murray could be a tandem. They did. We thought Samsonov would take over as starter because Matt Murray wasn't going to do as well, but. I've been surprised, not surprised that Sam Sanoff done well. I thought he would have done well playing on the team, but I'm surprised at well at how well Matt Murray has played. I thought he would have maybe started hot and grown cold or got cold and then uh, became hot later in the season. But it seems like, I mean, he's only played, what, nine games? But still, it, like, it seems like on a, on a trajectory that he's going to con- continuously play like this and it's, it's going to be good for the team all year. Uh, and the only concern I have for this uh, goaltending tandem thing that they have going is I want them to ride the hot hand. So this kind of goes into our, our – well, we're talking about goaltending, obviously, but uh, another point that we want to make to you or I want to make to you was if you look at the schedule for all of December, I'm pretty sure they play every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. No back-to-backs, three times a week. Some people are saying you, you, you give Mur, uh, Murray the Tuesday-Saturday game and you give Sam Sonoff the Thursday game. I think that you should go Matt Murray two games one week, Sam Sonoff one, then Sam Sonoff plays the two next week, then Matt Murray plays one, and then you just ride that until the playoffs when I think that you have to look at who has the hotter the hotter stretch or the hotter, you know what I mean? Like who who's on yeah. a heater and who can – um, carry that forward because, like, if Sam Sonoff ends the season with, like, I don't know, let's just say like a 946 save percentage and a two goals against average, and then he's he ends it on like a, I don't know, he's won the last six of his contests, and then Matt Murray has like an 898 and he's one in three or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, Toronto, I, I fear that Sheldon Keefe's going to be like, well, we owe it to this guy, we're paying him the money. Um, he's here for another year, but in actuality, if you thought about it, Toronto could potentially. If they rework how their top forwards and defense is kind of is kind of vamped, and you're probably going to get Jake Muzzin, maybe not retiring, but maybe on LTIR next year, you could actually sign Samsono for a four million dollar contract and have Matt Murray for four eight million dollars tied up, and then kind of revamp because like, well, we'll get into this more after, but like there is options for players to to be traded and to leave with other players coming to Toronto uh, in terms of like Holmberg and Matthew Nyes and Nick Robertson potentially getting an elevated role. Um, before we get into more, let's get a word from our show sponsor, DraftKings. Um, and then we'll come back to talk about more defense, yarn croak injuries, Mac Hollowell. All right, so uh, write down this promo code and win some money. 
Hockey fans, light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money lines on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into even bigger payouts with same-game parlays. Combine multi-bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot to win even bigger payouts. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Promo code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See notes for details. We are back with Elena Betting excitement again because Kyle's not here. Uh, Scott messaged me on the little private chat here and said, you didn't let me answer. So I will send it back over to you, Scott, to answer. Yeah. I mean, normally it, it doesn't matter, but I'm pretty sure if I remember, um, it only happened a couple minutes ago, so I don't know why I wouldn't. Um, but I'm pretty sure you said, I just want to get your opinion on this. And then you ripped through your point and then you're like, all right, we got to go to our ad break. And then, uh, just kind of forgot that you asked me to give my opinion on it. But. Uh, I agree. I think you don't really need to worry about riding the hot hand. I agree from like what you said about towards the end of the season. Riding that's when riding whoever's playing the best should really matter. But I don't right now I think I mean I guess playing them every other game would wouldn't necessarily work, but I feel like you should play them as often as as like like split the games if that makes sense. Like if if Murray plays two, then Simpsonov can play two. If Murray plays three, then Simpsonov plays three, or until one of them really starts to play bad, and then that's when the guy takes over. Or late in the season, when the guy who's playing the best should take over. But if they play every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, roughly, then I don't really see a problem with every other game. Murray Tuesday, Simpsonov. I think that's the schedule. Yeah. So like if Murray Tuesday, Simpsonov Saturday, Murray Saturday, or Thursday, Murray Saturday. Tuesday, and the, the, the benefit to that is a uh, uh, little wrist injury. I mean, yeah. like it, they, if, Mur- they, if, Murray's, yeah. if Murray's groin or knees are sore after the one game, I mean, obviously it's the NHL, so it's not like ball hockey, but um, Samsonov goes in, then Murray, and then Samsonov, and then Murray. So basically, if we did that right now, we'd have um, we're probably going to see Murray on Saturday against Tampa, Samsonov Dallas, Murray LA. Samsonov, Calgary, Murray, Anaheim, Rangers, uh, Samsonov, and then Washington on the 17th, Murray again. So basically, yeah, that would rotate almost every other Saturday. Uh, there is one um, thing I I actually just noticed here. They don't play on the 24th because it's Christmas Eve. Um, so it's not Tuesday. It's not every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, obviously, because it is December and Christmas. Um, but yeah, that's the only thing that's different. So. Yeah, uh, it might mess up the flow a little bit because there's only two games that week. I I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, to me, that makes the most sense because then, like you said, the games are spaced out enough that it reduces the injury risk, especially with Murray, who has a history of injuries, uh, and Samsonov coming off the injury already this season. Um, but I feel like they're they're not going to do that. They'll do, like, Murray a couple games, Samsonov maybe a couple games, and then go back to Murray and then, just because this season, just the coaching seems to be throw it at the wall and see what sticks. And uh, so I just feel like that 
for most of December, I, f- I feel Matt Murray will get the starts and Sam Sonoff will be a little bit more than a backup, but mostly backup. Uh, unfortunately, I agree. And I think um, this just goes back to the anger that it brings me when we talk about what um, Kyle Dubas said about Toronto, how he wants it to be a place where people come and show themselves and then get better con- better contracts. And I feel like that's what's going to happen with Sam Sonoff. He's going to become a favorite. People are going to like him. The team's going to like him. Him and Matt Murray are going to do well. And then out the door to, uh, let's just say, probably let's be real, Edmonton because Edmonton takes like they're interested. They're, they're the most interested team in Casper in Capitan. You're literally retry, trying to rebuild that 2018 team, 2019. Like, no wonder why you guys suck. It didn't work for Toronto, you dummies. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to send this one over to you because I actually didn't know. So, are you got anything more to add on the goalies, or do you want to try, uh, uh, parallel into other injuries that have happened on the team? Because oh yeah, we, we have... can we can move on. I just I just wanted to. Um, Go- the goalie that. conversation is actually a, a hot topic that I think that we'll be talking about a lot on this podcast throughout the season. But yeah. it's one that I I think that it's it's one of the most entertaining things that have happened this whole season. With like even with Shawgren, he played well. He didn't play the best, but he played well. He put up Peter Mrazek numbers. He put up better numbers this year in his games played than Jack Campbell, so eat that. Um, But I I think just the goaltending and the contrast between what people are thinking and and saying and and how they're going to be utilized as well as how good they're they're playing, it's kind of nice to talk about something else rather than just the core four or the depth not being there. But speaking about depth... We do have an injury. Finish your thought on that, and then tell us about the injury because you know more about it than I do. Oh, I mean, no, I was done the goalie. I just wanted to to say what I thought about it, and then uh, yeah, so we can move on. I mean, and I wouldn't say I know more about it because at this point, I don't really think anybody outside the Leafs organization really knows a lot about it. But uh, Cal Yarncroak did get injured last game. I think they said he left in the third period. Uh, and it was announced today that it's a groin injury. They didn't announce how long. They just said that he'll miss some time. So take that with however, if you want to classify it as week to week. But uh, with past injuries on the Leafs this season, at least, it was at least a month. So we could be without Yarncroak for that span of time. Again, they didn't say how severe it is. They didn't say how long he'd be out. All the quote was was that Sheldon Keefe said he would be out for some time. So. And that sucks and then, to me. I think it was Samsonov who had the groin injury, right? And he was out. Oh, no, he had the no, injury. It was yeah, Murray. Murray, yeah. Who had the groin, yeah. And he was out for, what, a month and a bit? Yeah, like, I think it was, like, 36 days or something like that. Yeah, so that could be, depending on how severe it is, I guess. But that that's probably the, the best estimate for Yonkrook as well, if, if they have a similar injury. Um. I, uh, I, this was complete uh, news to me. Um, in general, I found that out today just going through Twitter, and I was like, I don't know if I believe that. So I asked you guys. Um, I mean, if, if we watched the, we didn't watch the game last night, but I'm sure we would have known about it last night if, if we watched the game. Yeah, that's true. Like it happened in game, so they would have mentioned it on the broadcast, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, but like usually they put on a little statement after or someone says like uh you got David Alter and Luke Fox and all these other people are like, Oh, it could be an elevated role for Nick Robertson. 
in the in the absence of Yarn Grove, but that wasn't said. So I was like, yeah. interesting well, to find that out. It sucks though actually, because he was on that line with Mer- with um, um, Marner and Tavares, and he was doing well. Yeah, he had like what four goals in the last couple weeks. Yeah, I think he had like eight points two since he's been on that line or weeks, six points weeks, or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny that you brought up Robertson because I want to ask you about that. I was I was talking to someone else who who they said hopefully Robertson gets put in that spot. Not necessarily that spot, but gets put in the lineup as the replacement and the lines get shuffled around a bit, but he gets some playing time. And I said that probably isn't going to happen. I hope it happens, but I have a, I have a feeling that they'll just use Simmons until Yarncro comes back. They'll put Simmons on the last line. They'll play Engvall a little bit more than, than what they have been or or um, Kerfoot or whoever fills that role. But I just, I just want to see what you thought. Do you think Robertson will get playing time because Yarncroke's hurt or? Do you think they'll still have them yeah. kind of in the doghouse and just use other players, whether they're from the minors or who have been scratched? I would hope Robertson gets the time. He needs the time. He needs to play somewhere. He's just sitting around. Like Sheldon Q says, there's perks of being the NHL. Like, yeah, there's also perks of playing. Um, yeah. It depends on the game. Like, if we're looking just quickly, if we look at the schedule that they have here, I could see – uh, a Tampa Bay game where he might be in, but I could also see because Pat Maroon and Corey Perry and all this, I could see Wayne Simmons slotted back in, just like the Minnesota game against Ryan Reeves and nothing happened. Um, in Dallas, L.A., and maybe Calgary, I could see, and potentially even Anaheim, the Rangers and Washington. I could see him the next two weeks slotting in there. And then you got, excuse me, then you got Tampa Bay on yeah. the 20th and 22nd. You got Philly. I could see Simmons coming in for Robertson, which sucks because – like if 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 Robertson plays the next two weeks, almost consistently, and he puts up, let's just even say four points, five points, that's still almost as much as, well, with his already two points, that's more I think than Pierre Ingvall has. So it's like he needs to play, and if he plays well, why take him on the lineup? That in out in out isn't yeah. working for him. Um. Yeah, and like, that's one of the reasons why I thought Simmons. Just because all the stuff that Keith has said about Robertson, and he doesn't seem to be any closer now to getting in the lineup than he was when they took him out. Um, but I just felt like Simmons made more sense because then they can kind of just play him six minutes a game and give everybody else a little bit more playing time, especially with how the big four and Matthews and them are playing. You could bump their minutes up from 18, 19, 20 to 23, 24, 25 because Simmons – only really needs to play five, six minutes a game. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, you could do that I with Robertson. I guess too, there but... is perks. Yeah, there is perks with Robertson not being in, and there's an, and there's an open space for time. But it's like, if I, this is how I think of it, and it, it almost aligns perfectly with what we've been saying this whole, well, basically since the summer. If if Mar, uh, Marner and Matthews are separated. And you've got Nylander and Bunting there. You've got Matthews to be the two-way player who can also score past this, that, the other. He's elite. He's he's a superstar. And then you got Nylander who likes to pop the puck in the net. And you got Bunting who just likes to do whatever he does. If you put uh, Tavares on a line with Marner and Robertson, that's like, to me, that's like putting an NHL 06, you know, when you have those chemistry bars and you have to, like, yeah. figure out the – that's that to me. Like that's a, a sniper, a playmaker, and a two-way forward or a power forward, depending how you look at uh, Tavares. I wouldn't look at him as a playmaker or, or or a shooter or a sniper. But like I think that you've got the shooter or sniper in Robertson, the guy who's going to do whatever he can, um, 
and Marner to basically like I'll give him that. Maybe he doesn't go into the corners, but he tries his damnedest to try and pull off these fancy deeks and make them work. And then you've got Tavares who sits net front and digs the puck on like a JVR. So it's like that line to me could work well. Basically, adding Yarncroke, subtracting Yarncroke and Robertson, you're just taking away the digging in the corners that Yarncroke does, which Robertson still does. He's just not the best at it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like Robertson goes in there and only shoots the puck. He doesn't do anything else. So it's like, to me, that line perfectly, like, it aligns for Robertson to find success right now. Yeah. And I I wrote about this in an article, but, like, I think me and you have talked about this before. If if Robertson doesn't get the playing time and the consistency and the everyday effect of the NHL by the trade deadline, I don't even think he's going to be traded. Like, he could. But, like, Matthew Nyes has come... And Matthew Nyes is going to be given a role, same as Nick Eppersese was last year. He might not play every day in the playoffs, but he's a big guy. He can adapt to the NHL. You know what I mean? Like, if Robertson could find his footing before that, I think he finds a still still finds a way to play every day. And maybe they use Matthew Nyes in a role like a peering ball. Uh, they they take down peering ball's minutes or what have you. Yeah, or maybe right. Zach Asher resets, <laughs> whatever. But I, I still think, like, or maybe by the – let's just say this. Maybe Yarncroke's playing well. And, and, and Ingvall is the one that's owned, and they've got Matthew Nyes coming, and they have Robertson playing well as well. Maybe not, uh, maybe Ingvall gets shipped down at the at the deadline. I'm not saying it's going to happen because we know he's one of Keith's favorites. But basically, like Robertson has what the next three months to play to find success at the NHL level or at the AHL level and kind of stay there, because like once Matthew Nyes comes, he's going to be the forgotten child. He's going to be the yeah. ugly. Uh, Ugly duckling in Toronto. The most promising prospect you have on your team. The most promising prospect Toronto has, I think, is Matthew Nye. just based on what everyone said about him. The most promising prospect you have in your organization at this current second is sitting in the press box every night, losing self-esteem, losing self-confidence, and watching his brother go for the in the conversation the second in in an early heart heart, uh, trophy voting. Not that it matters, but in percentages, he's second right now. And you're getting a guy who was supposed to be that sitting in that press box because he doesn't do everything that the NHL or at the NHL level that you want him to do. Yeah. But then your reaction is there's perks to playing at the NHL. I don't know. You take it away. Just, well, I just wanted to say, like, if Robertson can turn things around and Matthew Nice comes in and, and is as dominant as people are saying he's going to be, uh, can you imagine next season we'll have if Bunting can keep going and hit, put up his 60, 70 points a season? We'll have Bunting, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, Robertson, and Matthew Nyes. Like that's seven deep on forward who could put up potentially if Matthew Nyes and then if Robertson can turn things around. Seven players on the team, seven deep on offense who can put up sixty plus points. How many other teams in the league can say that? Yeah. And like I, I like you don't even have to worry about cap with Robertson and, and Nyes for the at least the next year because they're still on their rookie deals. And even if Robertson isn't on his rookie deal next year or the year after, like I, I don't think they're going to go out and sign him for this massive contract. It'll probably be a bridge deal, so like two, maybe three million, which is manageable when you just you could get rid of Kerfoot, you could just get rid of Engvall. But yeah, I, yeah. I and I hate the he needs to work on aspects of his game that we don't like because there's so many players in the lineup who do things every night that are so irritating. Like Pierre Engvall has looked. Horrible. Like he hasn't looked bad in the last couple games, but for the first 17 games of the season, he looked like he just didn't care. He was just floating around doing nothing. Alex Kerfoot has looked terrible all year. 
Justin Hall has moments throughout each game where he looks like he has no idea what he's doing. There's been moments where Sandina's messed up. There's been moments where Lilligren has messed up. Hell, there's been moments when Matthews, uh, uh, Marner, and Tavares have messed up. I feel like the only consistent player all year, and I mean, I guess every game you could pick and choose a, a moment, but the only player I've noticed to be consistent all year is Nylander. And he's, like, even on defense, his defensive aspects this year, I think he stepped up his game. So if you're sitting Robertson because he doesn't do everything in every aspect of the game perfectly, then how come Pierre Engvall's still in the lineup, Alex Kerfoot's still in the lineup, uh, Wayne Simmons is potentially in the lineup, Austin Reese, who doesn't, like, he's played well, but he's not an offensive powerhouse, uh, Justin Hall, Rasmus Sandin, all these guys who make mistakes or, or aren't as important to the team are still in the lineup, but then Robertson comes in and makes one mistake, and then you bench him for a week because he needs to improve on those aspects of the game. Yeah. It just doesn't you make sense. Know who this reminds me of? Like if, Rasmus if Sandin, excuse, remember? Sorry, if that's continue. your excuse for Robertson, then it should be it should or your reasoning for Robertson, then it should be the same reasoning for every other player who's messed up just as many times as he has. Yeah, like I think Robertson this year has what eight points in the nine games wow. he's played or ten games he's played. Something Maybe like that. I think he has like four six. goals or seven, four goals and three assists or something like that. And Pierre Engvall's played in every game and he has what five points, three goals and two assists or something like that. Like so, I I just I mean yeah. I I get points aren't everything, but like, people look at points as, as an important factor in the game. So if Robertson is producing offensive, putting him in the lineup and then helping him adjust to his defensive deficiencies as opposed to sitting him in the press box because he's not good on defense and missing out on those offensive chances he's going to produce for the team. I I was just, just saying, like this reminds me of the Rasmus Sandin thing. When, remember that year, what was it, the Columbus series? And he got called yeah. up, then he got put on the top power play unit. And then from there, it was like two days or two games. And then he was in the doghouse, barely played. And it was like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Then Lilligren got his chance. And then Rasmus Sandy got called up and they've been mainstay, like staying up with the team. But it's the same situation. You're beating this guy's confidence. And I feel like Toronto does this. So then it's less of an impact on their cap. And just real quick. It also goes on, I think we touched on it last week or two weeks ago, where you said that Keith wanted Lilligren and Sandine to change more into defensive-minded defensemen as opposed to offensive. I, I, yeah. I don't remember what episode it was, but you mentioned that. In the, it was in either last episode or the episode before. And then I said, like, that doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you put them in the lineup as offensive forward or defenseman and then help them adjust and improve their defensive game as opposed to not putting, which is the same as Robertson not putting them in the lineup so that in practice they could turn into a player they're not. And then two, three years down the road, they finally make things click like Lilligren. But like that's two, three years of wasted gameplay or potential just because you want them to be freaking Justin Hall and not Morgan Riley. And Robertson's yeah, the same. Uh... Like it, if you don't like those aspects of his game, and sure, it may, there may be times where he costs you a game, but there's times when Justin Hall costs you a game. There's times when Mitch Marner costs you a game. There's been times when William Nylander and Austin Matthews and John Tavares have cost you games. Like every player on this team, I can just probably off the top of my head, if I think about it, there's been moments this season where they've costed, made bad plays, cost a goal, cost a game. Like that overtime game where Matthews, Marner, and Justin Hall were on, and all three were in horrible defensive positioning, and the other team won, and like, 
20 seconds. But none of those players got ridiculed or mocked or sat in the press box. I mean, obviously, you would never sit Matthews in the press box. But So to sit Robertson because he's not as good defensively doesn't make sense to me. Put him in the lineup. Let him play. If he makes mistakes, he makes mistakes. Like That's what practice and coaching is for. To help them adjust to the parts of their games that aren't working on an NHL level. As well as improving the parts of their games that do work. But instead, they're just focusing on that one aspect of his game that isn't working and then ridiculing him because it's not working and then not playing him. Yeah, which reminds me exactly of the Rasmus Sandin situation. Like, yeah. to a T. Sheldon Keefe did that to Rasmus Sandin, that he's not ready, that this, that, the other. It's like, what what, jo- what joy do you get? Or what... Um, what uh, what um, I don't even know the word I'm trying to think of, but what do you get from treating these guys like basically a bag of dirt and then expect them like it's not helping their confidence. They're not going to improve. You know what I mean? And then it showed with Rasmus Sandin that all he needed to do is play because I think he's like, I mean, he's not the best defenseman on the team by any means, but it's shown that if he plays, he, he can produce. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And also, so, like it doesn't help that, I mean, this isn't a knock against Leafs fans or whatever, but there's a lot of wagon jumper Leafs fans who, when they hear something in news in the news, they automatically believe it. Or, or if like a story comes out about about a player, uh, the like, Rasmus ending sucks, or some reporter says Mitch Marner is negative seventeen in in advanced analytics or whatever crap they put in the article. There's a huge section of Leafs fans who automatically just jump on that bandwagon and say, "Oh yeah, Mitch Marner sucks defensively." Or, or Nylander. Like, every week there's an article, Nylander needs to be traded because he's not good defensively. And he's costing the Leafs the game. And then now there's a portion, a huge portion of Leafs fans are like, yeah, William Nylander sucks. He doesn't deserve to be on the team. So then when you have Sandine and Robertson who are trying to make the NHL, then their coach comes out pretty much publicly and says their game isn't good enough. They need to sit in the press box and play or to watch the play to improve their game then that's going to make a huge portion of the Leafs fan base jump on those players as well and say, like, you suck. We wasted a draft pick with you. Like, we're wasting a roster spot. We're wasting talent. Anybody else could do the job, so why are you in the lineup? So the, the coach coming out publicly with these slandering their game, in a way, isn't necessarily helping because then you also have to deal with the fan base, which is arguably the most toxic fan base in the league. Yep. Um. Let's transition to the defense now. Uh, you wanted to mention the defense yeah, in general just, and how they've been playing with the injuries, and I think that's uh, barring what I just part. said about Justin Hall. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think I think the defense has has stepped up with three of the best four defense on the team out for the next month or so, potentially. Um, I thought Justin Hall stepped up his game from the beginning of the year where he looked like he just had no care in the world and was making mistake after mistake. Sandine has stepped up his game. Lilligren's looked impressive. Giordano's Giordano. Sorry. Yeah, Giordano. It's Giordano. And yeah, then Giordano. I've, I've, I've been surprised with uh, Hollowell, too. And then, obviously, Mete and Ben are, are – I mean, Ben's more of a veteran than Mete, but Mete's still been in the league for, like, what, five, six years, so he knows – the role he needs to fill on the team. Um, yeah, just with three of their four best out, and the defense hasn't looked like it, it 
it shows that all they've still been at the top of their game. I thought that was impressive. Yeah, uh, the the Giordano Hall pairing actually has really impressed me. To be honest, um, Giordano being what forty some, and Justin Hall being the plug that he is, they've meshed well. They've worked well. Uh, yeah, Giordano seems like the type of guy that can really settle anyone in the role that like you know when they play with him. So, I mean, take it with the yeah. maybe low impact because he's playing with a Giordano, but it's like. Brody's skating. People say, or the team says that he's progressing, but not as well as he should be. I don't know which one is more important at back, Riley or Brody. Uh, probably Brody. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people, uh, when that question got asked on the podcast, I listened to today. A lot of people said Riley. Like, yeah, I, like, I mean, they're, you're just I going based on importance with... of the team, like based well, on yeah. his name. They're not going to actual yeah, importance. That's what I was gonna say. I get that, like Riley's the bigger name guy on in Toronto. But the way the team's built, where it's more offensive focused, um, and the forwards have that in 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 bundles, like there's no shortage of offense on this team. I feel like having the defensive minded defenseman to to help counter the the mistakes the team is inevitably going to make is more important than having Morgan Riley come in and just continue and add on to that offense. Yeah, the offense but that he doesn't just, get because he tries to hard. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I just thought of this when you were talking, the Giordano Hall. When Riley comes back and Brody comes back, Muzzin probably isn't coming back this year. Um, are do you think they'll stay Giordano Hall, or do you think they'll switch them around? I think they should literally just do. Like, I mean, I guess it's tough a little bit. I think. You mean, sorry, are you saying when everyone comes back or just when Brody? No, like if Riley and Brody are back in the lineup, do you think that they'll just play Riley Brody together again oh, and keep yeah, Paul they and should. Giordano? Yeah, and or then they should also keep Sandin Lilligan. Play with Riley and then... They probably will, but they shouldn't. They should just leave it the same way as Giordano Hall, Sandy and Lilligan, and then obviously Riley Brody being your top pair because Brody and Riley play well together. I think that it just works. Everything is just working. Yeah. Um, Sorry, excuse me. One name that we haven't seen is Connor Timmins, who was acquired by Toronto about now probably two weeks ago. Um, not really sure why they went on and got him if Sean Keefe's just going to be a Frankie Corrado situation here, which is also funny because they had mentioned that it's not going to be like situations prior when they get a guy, but um, yeah, we are yet to see him. He's taken warm-ups like all the games, but so hopefully he gets into the lineup on Saturday. But, I mean, at the same time, who are you going to take out? I think he's a right-hand shot, so I guess that would be Matt Hollowell. Which, it's funny that you brought that up because that's, that's what I was going to ask you after when you brought up, like when I asked you, do you think the lineups will stay the same? Um, and I completely forgot Timmons was even on the team, but um, I don't, just let me preface this by saying, I don't think they expected Hollowell to be play as well as he has. I feel like he was a called up for that game until Timmons was able to come to Toronto and then he would have slotted in. But then he kind of impressed in his first showing, so they gave him another chance and he impressed again. And then he's kind of just been a stay in the lineup ever since. Um, but do you think that that at some point Hallwell, do you, like, do you think his play is going to continue? And do you think that even when Brody and Riley come back, do you think that he's earned a spot on the roster and, and someone like Sandine will potentially get sat instead of 
No, I don't think that. I think no. Hollowell's. See, a lot of people seem to forget Hollowell was actually traveling the team during the COVID year when it started in January. He was in the same uh, housing quarantine house as Riley. Uh, sorry, Nylander, Matthews, Joe Thornton, Mac Hollowell. There's a few other people. So, like you had mentioned last night, I assume he's got some chemistry. I think they actually are friends, and uh, with Matthew, sorry, and they, I think they actually are friends. But in terms of like how he is as a player, I feel like maybe there's a chance that he makes the NHL on as a regular basis, and maybe this helps him. Maybe this gives him confidence. But I just think that Toronto's not really because then there's also Jordy Ben. So you're going to set Jordy Ben, you're going to set Rasmus Sandin, you're going to probably potentially potentially set Connor Timmins, and then have Mac Hollowell. And I was also going to mention that they're. Elliot Freeman had mentioned on the Fan 590 that uh, the biggest interest that they have is Vladimir Gavrikov from Columbus because they want to add someone who's gritty. And I think he's a right-handed shot as well. I, I'll look that up quick, but I think he is. Uh, so then you're going to have all these guys sitting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what is the... Well, yeah, I'm curious like, how I, was or mindset. Sorry, he's a left-handed I didn't, shot. I didn't, I didn't necessarily mean that he was going to stand a lot, but I don't think he will. I just thought, like, if he continues playing the way he's playing, which, I mean, he's playing, what, last line or last pair of minutes, like, but still impressive. Like, he's only, this is, what, four games into his career, and, and he's, like, he hasn't really made a noticeable mistake. He hasn't really looked on a position. Uh, like, he hasn't really looked lost. So I just yeah. thought if he continues to play that way, where a potential Sandine who's prone to making mistakes at certain moments in games continues to make those mistakes. And then a Jordy Ben and Victor Mete, who are only on the team as depth, judging from the fact that they've only been used in that role so far this season. Uh, if if uh, Hollowell keeps playing the way he's playing, I just I thought maybe it would bump maybe Sandine off and then Mete and Ben would go back to being those depth pieces that come in only when needed. But I, kinda, I don't know. I, I, I don't see him staying with the team when everybody's back, but if he keeps playing this way and he keeps impressing, uh, I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be in the lineup. Other than just numbers, I guess. The fact that you have then, so many defense. Then you got to ask yourself. And I think it's a good question to ask because why wouldn't you ask it? Uh, do you see a world where that his play and his performance and everything makes um, Justin Hall potentially up for grabs? Like if he can play yeah. well, Connor Timmons can play well. Like, well, I mean, from a personal point of view, yeah, I would have traded Hall three years ago. <laughs> but I wouldn't have traded uh, for him. Well, yeah, 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 exactly. But I feel like if Hallowell impresses and he stays in the lineup after all the injuries, like Brody and Riley come back, I feel like it'll be Sandine that is the one that's moved. Yeah, that would be the biggest mistake they make. But And then again, I guess maybe Hallowell still wouldn't have a spot, right? Because it'd be Brody, Brody, Riley, Giordano, Hall, Lilligren. Oh, no, yeah. And then Sandine. And then Timmons and Hollowell. And then Mete and Brody. So I, I feel like Mete and Brody will be the depth guys that get called up when needed. Timmons might be the seventh or in a roster spot. Hollowell keeps impressing or just playing consistently like he has been up until a point in the season where. They have too many defense, and they don't know what to do with everybody. I feel like Sandine will be the one that gets moved just so that they can clear a spot for the Hollowell to come in or Ben to play or Mete to come back in or Timmons to play or whatever. 
I don't feel like they're moving Justin Hall, even though we want him off the team. I I feel like he's he's solid until either um, Dubas and Keith leave, or there's no point in keeping him on the team. Which at this point, I guess personally, I feel like it's already happened. But uh, from a <laughs> from awesome. a Dubas Keith from a Dubas Keith perspective, I feel like he's on the team until they're not with the team anymore. Yeah, sadly, you're probably right. Uh, so I feel like um, if if there's a log jam at defense and they need to move someone, it'll be Rasmus Sandin. Which again is a terrible mistake because he's the type of player that's going to come out and put uh, probably I'd say forty points up with any other team. Yeah. So, which I just want to bring to me to my next point. I wanted to make is this season so far for the Leafs has been kind of hilarious. It's kind of like flipped where at the beginning of the year where everybody was playing like crap, um, it was just like a rip fest of, of, of why'd you bring in this guy? Why'd you get that guy? Why, what are you doing with this guy? Why is this guy on the team? Yada, 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 yada. And then what, three weeks later to the present day, uh, it just seems like we have so much depth that we don't know what to do with it. Like we have Timmons and if Hollowell keeps playing and Mete and, and Ben on defense as extras. Plus uh, Dahlstrom potentially in the minors, and then at some point in the season, home um, what's his name Holmgren Holberg Pontus Holmgren Holmberg yeah Holmberg Holmberg he got yeah. called up. John he seems to like the guy, so I feel like he's going to be in the lineup for a while. We still have Gaudet and Simmons and Robertson Clifford and uh, Joey who Clifford oh yeah Clifford and Joey Anderson like there's like seven guys in the in the, the that are scratcher in the minors who who even last nine minutes were the Leafs. So I just think it's funny how the first three weeks of the season everybody was like, time to panic, time to trade Matthews and Martyr because this team isn't going anywhere. And then now it just seems like everybody who comes in the lineup is an automatic stud and it just fits in so well and, and the team has so much depth. And I, I think that's uh um I mean, some of it with the drafting. I think you got to give kudos to the to the Dubis administration with the the drafting ability and the finding later rounds because Pontus Holmberg was a six round pick. Um, but yeah, and and this, the other thing that you mentioned with like like how you mentioned the Connor Timmons thing is like if Mac Hollowell, Mac Hollowell wouldn't have given gotten the chance if Carl Dahlstrom was there. They probably would have just called him up. Although they like the light, they like the left rights. But Carl Dahlstrom is on for like, I think six months, six to eight months. So it's like everything is aligning well for these for these guys to get a chance with the team, like Holmberg, Mac Hollowell, all these players. And then, as you said, yeah, they're turning into absolute. Well, I wouldn't say necessarily quote unquote studs, but like they're no, turning into. Like I was, well, in the roles they're playing, though, they. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like Mac Hollowell is what three points in two games. Like I'll take that. Like he's already. What third in Toronto defense? Like I, I would take it, yeah. but it's like I don't, I don't think in a situation like this, I don't think it's necessarily Sheldon Keith that you got to give credit to. I didn't say I'm not saying you did give him credit, but I think like he's just he's just putting out the players. But obviously, it's important. But like players to, like Matt Hollowell and and Pontus Holmberg and stuff, these players who are who are coming into the team and and maybe are undrafted or maybe sixth or seventh or fifth round picks and they're actually performing. I think it's also like you got to give credit to Dubis and 
Yeah, I, I, I just, I feel like that's not, that's never something that you get enough credit is, is, or is, uh, sorry, Kyle Dubas, and in terms of his. Well, that's because he, he didn't, he didn't draft the big body, rugged physical. Well, player. yeah, that's Who, true. But Toronto like, needs seventeen of those to, in order to win anything in the league. Yeah, that's actually true. I, I think that he should have probably won for, um, uh, I don't know, Pat Maroon, Jack Edwards, yeah, or, would, or like would trading up. Trading up uh, to choose uh, Tyler Biggs, who never played an NHL game. Like, that's just a genius move by a classic GM who knows what he's doing. <clears throat> Remember. <clears throat> Anyways. Uh... <laughs> why, why, why choose David Pasternak when you can choose Tyler Biggs? Because David Pasternak sucks. Why choose, why choose uh, I don't know, Johnny Goudreau when you can choose Justin Hall? Like, come on. Oh, and also, I said, uh, I need the you blew it thing. I said Vladimir Gavrikov. It's actually, uh, I don't even know, Vladislav, I think. Mm. I was saying his name, and then when I looked up, I believe it's, I believe I saw Vladislav. So, my apologies. Uh, Lastly, on the list of things that we want to talk about is Kerfoot's play. Where is he at? I don't know. It's been a, a highly talked about topic on, on Leafs Twitter is that uh, Kerfoot is a no-show for the season so far. Uh, I mean, there's moments where he's noticeable in games, but he hasn't really done much all season, um, which is surprising because normally he's a guy you can rely on to go up and down the lineup and he still plays consistently. Maybe not from a point total, but from like an actual play during the game. he. He's usually one of the most consistent players, but this season he, he doesn't seem like he's doing much. And um, because of Pontus Holmberg, I heard this the other day, and I think it's a, it's a brilliant it's a brilliant um, thought. So next year you have Ingvall. I don't even know if Ingvall signed past next year or this year, but let's just say you got Ingvall what two point two five. You got Kerfoot at three coming off the books. You have to sign David Camp. Ashton Reese is off the books unless they re-sign him. Who else is in the bottom six? Um, Camp, Ashton Reese, Kerfoot, Malgan. Malgan. Okay, so let's just forget about him because, like, I think they might have. I think it might be an RFA, anyways. Um, so Camp, you're obviously going to want to re-sign. Like, I, I think Camp is an un un undervalued player in the league. Like he's uh pure uh what pure sorry, filled the no style player. Um so you resign Camp. Say you resign him for two years three million, two years two and a half. Okay. Pontus Holmberg, a little piggy that went to the market, guess where he is? He's right here. He's playing third line center because he never makes any mistakes. Bam. Well except for the couple mistakes he has made. No, no, no! Never made a mistake. Anyways, <laughs> bam! So now you still have Matthews, Mar- or Matthews, Tavares, Holmberg, Camp down the middle, okay? Or Camp Holmberg, whichever way you want to slice the pie. Also, Camp is a good playoff performer. Then you say bye bye, have a nice day to Kerfoot if he's not traded by the deadline. And then you look at freaking Giraffe Neck and you say get out of here with Pierre Engvall. And that clears up potentially almost $6 million that's coming off the books for next year. Because why? Because you're using players that Toronto necessarily hasn't used before. 
in a role that they should have. I mean, maybe not Pontus Holmberg, but also on that line. Guess who could play well on a line with Pontus Holmberg, say Pontus Holmberg. I don't know who's on the right side. And uh, I think it's Malgan. Malgan. Okay. You could put, I may, it may not work 100%, but you could potentially look at putting uh, maybe a Matthew Nyes there or a Nick Robertson there. And he now he leads his own line with Matthew Nyes on the second line or, or first line. Bunting, Matthew Nyes, and Robertson are the additional pieces, as we mentioned before, who could get 60, 50, 60, 70 points. But now Robertson's leading his own line on a line with Holmberg, who's defensively minded, and potentially, say, Mulgan, who's both sides of the puck. Or even if you get Zach Ashton Reese there again, or a player as of his nature, and you put him there, then you've got the big body player again. Well, not that he's super big, but you know what I mean, like the the gritty, grittier dig in the corner guy. I think that could really work with Toronto, and then you've got Matthew Nyes and Robertson, as you mentioned earlier in the pod, making league minimum or rookie minimum. So it's like now we're cooking with some gas, you know. What I mean, now we're looking at potentially using that extra money to sign Sam Sonov back. Yeah. Maybe you look at that extra money and you sign uh, an additional piece of the Ford group and maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know who you'd sign there, but maybe Bunting. Well, Bunting has to be re-signed too, so maybe him. But maybe uh, put Bunting on the third line and you bring someone in to play on the second line. And, you know what I mean, they got William Nylander, Matthew Nyes, Tavares, Marner, and someone, Bunting, Robertson, and Holmberg. Like now we're cooking into the situation where uh, you've got, Cheaper deals, as you mentioned before, but also less roster space for guys like Kerfoot. Oh, and you also have Yarncroke. You could put Yarncroke on that line, on the third line. You know what I mean? Like yeah. now you're really looking at cheaper deals because Yarncroke's what three million, two million for the next three years. Yeah. Like I think, truthfully, Kyle Dubas doesn't get enough credit, but he set this team up into a, a, a situation for next year that he could be having, and the cap's supposed to go up like five million, so he could have like twelve million dollars not just alone on the team coming off the books like six, seven, but plus the five. And plus, did you mention the um, Muzzin LTR? Yeah. Oh yeah. True. I did mention earlier, but in this situation, now you're going to have like the $6 million come off the book. I think Hall's contract's done after this year. Yeah. Uh, Giordano's here. Riley's here. Brody's here. uh, Sandine Lilligren, Giordano. And then you got that extra roster spot. Ben's coming off the books. Um, Connor Timmons, I think, comes off the books unless they re-sign him. Here's an interesting question for you. Um, actually, I can't. What the defenseman they have in Europe is it Hervenin or? Oh no, it's um, Nimala. Yeah, Hervenin. So okay, so uh, Nimala, Nimala, whatever, however you say it. Um, at some point, he's obviously, hopefully, unless it's like a Robertson Sandin situation, uh, is making the team. Uh, do you think when do you think when when do you think that'll be? Because I actually don't know much about him. And uh, um, no, sorry, go. No, no, continue. And, no, no, I'll let you answer first because then it'll base my next part of the question on how to word it. Uh, as far as I know, I think this is his last last full year of European. Um, so he could play. be ready next like, year. He could be with the AHL team next year or NHL team next year. I think they still have the option to extend that European stay. Um, but I mean, like, I, th- I, th- I still think he's like top four in defense in Sweden or something like that. So it's like, if he comes over here and he plays in the AHL for a year or a little bit of the year, but I don't see, I think that Toronto would use him in the year that they have like next year when Muzzin and Brody come off the books, Sandy and Lilligren are up for extensions. Giordano comes off the books. Maybe you bring in someone else to play. I think, um, 
yeah, you, then then Riley would be Sandy and Lilligren would be your focal points with Nimala playing on the last line or third line or second line. Sorry, with uh, someone. So to answer your question, I think that it will be not this next year, but two years from now, twenty twenty five. Okay, well then you already answered my last question because I was going to say, do you think they potentially clear room for him next year, or do you wait until there's actual room for him and not have to worry about moving pieces down just to clear spot? So you already, you already answered that. Let me ask you this. TJ Brody comes off the books in 2025. You're going to be what? 30. So, okay. So then you've got Riley Brody, Sandy yeah. Lilligren, player X on the left side, because I think Nimala is a, a right-handed shot. And then you've got Nimala. You could potentially do a, I don't know, like a 20, 2018, 15 or 2015, 15 or an 18, 18, 18 minute change, interchangeable, any of those combos on defense, depending on who you have on the left side, which uh, off the top of my head, I don't think that we have that many left-handed defense that are uh, prospects. Maybe that uh, Hoffenmeyer or whatever his name is, but I don't think he's going to be ready next year. But this comes to me now, actually, just this thought. Imagine if Rodian Amroff, unfortunately, he does have uh, brain cancer, but imagine if he didn't and he was ready to play next year too, and then you'd have Rodian Amaroff, Robertson, Matthew Nice, Marner, Matthew. Yeah, you'd have literally three solid. Or six solid. Three solid lines. Six. Yeah. I don't know why I said six. Yeah. You I have mean, six lines of players. <laughs> <laughs> Truthfully, if you think about it, like, okay, let's just say Matthews, or sorry, Bunting, Matthews, Nylander. Uh, let's say Matthew Nice, Tavares, Marner, um, Robertson, Holmberg, say, uh, Amaroff, Kampf, Yarncroke. All you need is that left or right, depending Aber- on what. Average Okay, there you go. So now you've got an actual team, and that's or, uh, and then on the back Manning. end. Yeah, and then on the back end, you've got um, well, Riley Brody, Sandy, and Lilligren, and then uh, Justin Hall, Nimala, and probably, <laughs> unfortunately, Justin Hall. That's the sad thing. Well, Knowing Sheldon Keefe and, and Kyle Dubas, they'll probably not bring Nimala over and then trade his rights because Justin Hall. Yeah, and I was just going to say, as much as I like. I want Lilligren and Sandine to be more of a focal point on defense. I have a feeling that when Muzzin's contract's up and when Giordano's contract's up, and maybe even when Brody's contract's up, they're going to just bring in players to replace them, and Lilligren and Sandine will still be playing the same role they play on the team right now, which is like bottom pair minutes. I don't think that there'll be a point ever in their careers where they'll be playing top line or even the top three defense on the team with, with Morgan Riley. I feel like they'll just sign a defenseman to come in and play with Riley or sign like another Brody style, bigger name defenseman in free agency to come in and, and fill the voids left by Mosin and the other guys leaving. I, I don't think that you'll ever see Lilligren, Sandine, Riley be the, the three defense focal point in Tron. I think truthfully, I think by the time, uh, like, so not this year, next year, you've got Brody leaving, wasn't leaving, Sandy and Lilligren have for extensions. I think that you might see that year that Sandy leaves. I think that they're going to be UFAs. Oh, damn, that hurt. I think that you're gonna they're going to be UFAs at that point. It might be RFAs, but I think that, like, the problem is Lilligren can always be on a line with Riley. Sandy and Riley both can't play the right side and left side. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're just not physically able to. They've tried it. They're not good at it. Sandy is not good at the right side. Neither is T or Morgan Riley. Although he said he would, whatever. But Lulegren always can be in that elevated role on the top pairing with Riley for years to come. 
So maybe there's a potential that Rasmus Sandin does get moved in the next couple of years, and then you potentially wait till he's reached a relatively around his p- potential, and then you trade him for a player, player X, player whatever, prospect X, whatever you want to answer there to bring back. But it's like, I think that eventually he's going to be mad because yeah. he's supposed to be that guy. Like when he, they drafted him, he was supposed to be the next Morgan Riley for this team. And now Morgan Riley's here for seven years, and it's like, Maybe you could persuade him to be like, okay, we'll get you a physical guy like, say, Ilya Labushkin to play on your line, and then maybe you'll just focus on the offense, you'll play power play time, but at the same time, you're always going to be keep competing with Morgan Riley, which, I don't know. I think, and the next, my next thought is, once another general manager comes into this team, it's going to be clean house on all these uh, Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Like, all these players oh, that yeah. show Junk even caught like I wouldn't be surprised if Rasmus Sandin does go just because of that. I I feel like whatever that situation leads into Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keith leaving and a new GM is brought in, I feel like the only players who are safe are Matthews and Marner. I feel like the yeah. just just because Tavares is older, I feel like they'll try to move his contract right away. I feel like Nylander will be moved to bring in other pieces that could help the team. And I feel like the same for Riley. Like those guys, like those are the big five. But of the, I feel like only Marner and Matthews are actually truly safe when another GM comes in. Uh, I feel like they could, yeah, they could move Marner or Nylander and Riley for the right pieces. I feel like, yeah, and because Tavares's um, age and and his contracts is is big, I feel like they'll try to move him. And then just the other guys are are. They had, I don't know. They might have interest in keeping some of them, like a David Camp or maybe Young Croak or whatever. But I, yeah, of the of the the whole roster, the only two I feel like that will be a hundred percent safe will be Matthews and Marner. Well, if it's uh, if you don't keep David Camp, you're an idiot. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, the only one that's truly safe is Marner because next year Matthews is going to Arizona, so you won't have to worry about the other GM. Oh there. yeah, how, how could we forget that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so at that point, we'll be doing a Coyotes Talk Forever podcast, yeah. and uh, we're just gonna whatever team Matthews goes to is the team that our, our, our coverage will be based on, exactly. So that's why we're becoming a New York Rangers podcast or LA, LA Talk Forever. I would just do King's Talk to be honest. Oh, uh, LA King's Rangers Talk, Talk King's Talk. <laughs> what? <laughs> No, nothing. I just get. I just okay, said LA. I just said LA. LA Kings talk forever. Ah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, <laughs> we've gone uh, an hour and a half talking solely about this team. Next week, when Kyle returns, hopefully we got. Uh, we only have two games next week. Uh, in between now and next, uh, sorry, next week is that right? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Only two games. Oh yeah, between well, technically. Technically, th- three games because there's a Thursday game, but we'll be doing the podcast before that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saturday, yeah. So now going forward for this month, it'll only ever be a Saturday, Tuesday game. In between our Thursdays, we'll be doing the podcast before the games, obviously. But the other thing is, we will let you know in the coming weeks, uh, just based on how Christmas is, and Christmas is big in our family, me and Scott's family. Um, we will probably, I'd be imagining, taking. I'd probably say a week or two, um, maybe just the week of the holidays off and not doing a podcast. Um, 
But yeah, obviously hockey still is played, but in that week there won't be a lot of things going on. But yeah, so uh, there'll be two games in between now and next Thursday, and we'll uh, cover them with Kyle next week. Hopefully he's got a good betting segment that actually wins you guys some money unlike the last time. Oh, that, that, that brings up my question here is, at the beginning you said, <laughs> excuse me, at the beginning you said something about me doing a betting. Oh, no, it wasn't that. I, I, it was in my mind because I thought that you remembered what Kyle said last week. Oh, I wrote it down. Oh, okay. The, I think you had mentioned the fact that he wasn't doing that well. Uh, let me find the page I wrote it on. One second. Oh, here it is. He had the Bills, the Vikings, and the Seahawks, which I think he had all three right, if I if I remember. Yeah, the Bills, Fulham. Vikings, and yeah, and the Seahawks won because the extra player came on the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he well, got I think absolutely he three for three. He got lucky on that one, but uh, anyway, but I mean, um, he he picked the right winner. I'm pretty sure he told people to take the spread for Buffalo, and they didn't get the spread. But so he he went three for three on the winners, but not for actually what he told them to pick. What a what a bust! Oh, here's a little betting story before we wrap up. Got a free bet given to me on the Saturday, so I use numerous different betting apps. But one of the betting apps is uh, not going to name it because they're show sponsor. But uh, they gave me a free ten dollars to bet. So I said, "Screw it! I'm going to put this betting or this ten dollars down, and I'll bet on the Leafs." So this one in particular betting segment or uh, site now offers same game parlays, which is cool. Obviously, DraftKings offers that too. So I went on and I picked, uh, I don't even remember I picked. I think I picked the Leafs to win. Shawkard to have under 30 saves. Marner to get a point. William Nealon to score. I have four, uh, more than two and a half shots. Yeah. One other thing. And then Matthews to score. But I switched Matthews to Can you not what? hear me? No, what happened? <laughs> I've been telling you for like two minutes that none of that was heard. Like it just cut oh. down completely. It was like the you sounded like uh, like you were skipping and lagging and and like a robot. And then okay, I, well, I said anyways, it like let's... five times and it just kept going on. Let's just wrap this up. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, so we'll be back with you next Thursday uh, with Kyle, hopefully. Um, and we'll talk more things Leafs. Have a good week, and uh, go Leafs go. Thanks.